0: Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically based, relationally driven, spirit led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Greetings to all of you who are worshiping online with us. Um, For those of you who've been around for a little while, you know that we are in a sermon series entitled The Fall, The Fall. But I actually personally love the fall, the other one, the one that speaks of as things begin to move towards winter. Uh, I don't know if you are like I am, but I despise winter. I don't like it at all. I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, and we had 30 degree below weather for weeks on end, and I've often said that if hell was frozen, it'd be more of a deterrent than when it's hot, at least for me. But in the midst of all of this, I saw the beauty of fall this week, and um, driving saw the first several trees begin to change. Some were turning orange and red, and it's just beginning to hit. And of course, the first day of fall was during this past week, and there's just something about moving into this season that Is beautiful, and yet we know winter's coming. We can sense that, right? And one of the reasons why I'm kind of sharing on this is that next Sunday we're gonna begin really in depth with what happens with the fall. And in the midst of that, though, I never want us to forget that God's creation is good. It's a wonderful, beautiful, amazing creation. And I think at times in which we're living now, you can lose sight of that very easily. Everything can seem so divisive and ugly, and, but we have to remember, yes, is creation tainted? Yes. Is it not functioning completely the way God intended? Yes. But God's creation is still wonderful, it's beautiful, and it's good, and we always need to remember that. Does that make sense? Good. So, in looking at the scriptures that I'm going to be taking into account this morning, I need to tell you at the outset that I prayed over this chunk of Scripture. And the reason why is it is so rich and so full of information that we need to know, but we don't need to know all of it right now. There are certain things that God wants us to hear and certain things we need to prayerfully contemplate in our spiritual journeys with Jesus. And so of all the vast topics that I could have picked, I believe with all my heart that God directed me just to a few things that we're going to really dig deeply into this morning as we read this somewhat lengthy text found in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. We're going to look at near the end of it at least we're going to look at the creation of Eve from Adam. The creation of Eve from Adam. But before we get there, let's read the text. And again, there are certain topics, there are highlights that the Spirit really drew me towards that we're going to be talking about during this sermon. Genesis 2.15 and following says this, we're going to read 10 verses. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Again, that's next week. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. I want you to remember those two words, helper suitable. It says, helper suitable for him. In a few moments, we're going to read it the other way. It'll say suitable helper. But I want us to remember those two words, reading on. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. I want you to notice something. That in Genesis 1, it tells us that God fashioned man out of the soil. Notice what it says here. He did the same thing with the animal kingdom. Same thing. Animals formed out of the dust. Humankind formed out of the dust. We need to catch that. Reading on, it says, he brought them, so the birds, the animals that had been formed out of the dirt. God brings them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever he called them, whatever he called them, each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the animals or wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper. Those those two words again. There are. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man. And he brought her to man. And the man said, This is now, or this now, this now, the man said, this now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked And they felt no shame. Can you imagine that garden? Can you imagine how incredible that garden must have been? God made it, and the text calls it paradise. Most beautiful place that has ever been. I've been to some amazing gardens. I've been to Europe and seen gardens that are hundreds of years old. Fabulous. I've seen gardens like at the Biltmore House in North Carolina. Fabulous. A friend of mine here in town, she's a gardener. Her and I've been friends, Fran and I, we've been friends of hers for many years. She's a professional gardener. And at a home she owned when our kids were being raised together, she and I coached a soccer team together. We would have our parties in her backyard. And I can remember every time stepping into the garden of a master gardener, it was stunning. It was restorative. It was refreshing. You would sit on the benches that she had, and you just felt like you could sit there forever. She had sort of some water figures in there as well, some little calm pools, and it just... I get the Garden of Eden in some ways. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's where God puts Adam. And the Scripture tells us that God places Adam into the garden in Genesis 2.15, and it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, two Sundays ago, I preached, and the last part of my message was about how work was not a result of the fall. Work was prior to the fall. Work is a good thing Work gives us purpose, it gives us focus, and it helps us to co-work with God. That's what Adam's doing. Now, has work gone sideways in some ways? Absolutely, we're gonna look at that next week. But ultimately know that work intrinsically is something that is a blessing from God where he calls us to co-work with him. But in the midst of thinking about work, I'm going to ask us a very odd question. And you gotta trust me that this question will actually weave in to the next point of the message. And here's my question, and I want you to give me feedback out loud. Those of you who are online and you're worshiping at home, just kinda say out loud, when does your morning begin? When does your, let me put it this way, when does your day begin? Usually, give me some times. When does your day begin? What time? 5, 5.30, 6, 7, college students help me, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m., right? You know what I've noticed in all, all three services today? The people that get up the earliest are the quickest to tell you when they get up. They're filled with pride because... And the outdoor service, someone yelled out, 4.30 before anyone could say anything. The whole crowd just went, oh, there's one in every crowd, right? (laughs) But here's what's amazing. Is that when you look at the creation story, and the Bible says Adam gets put in the garden to work it. If you look in the creation story, here's what's stunning. The day for God begins in the evening. It was evening. Then it was Morning. Evening, morning. Six times God says that. Evening, morning. And you know that Jews, ever since the exodus with Moses, their days have begun in the evening. In the evening. And God wanted his people to live differently than all the peoples around them. And so their day begins in the evening. Read in the scriptures, all of the fast, evening. Their day begins in the evening. Why is that? Why for millennia have Jews always had their days begin in the evenings? Here's why. God wants his people to begin their day with rest, not work. Rest. That's God's divine design. And he wants his people to live in rest first. So if your day begins in the evening, you eat a great meal, you fellowship with people you know and love, and then you rest. Does this make sense to us? And what the rabbis have taught for centuries and centuries is this. That taught the slaves that had just come out of Egypt and were now standing in the land of promise, it taught them as they heard the story from Genesis and Moses began to give them the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, what they learned was, and this is so key, your worth is not based on how much you produce. Your worth is not based on your work. And for 400 years, all of Israel had lived in bondage, and the only way you were worth anything was how many bricks you made. So you worked from sunup to sundown, seven days a week. You exhausted yourself. You worked. It's what kept you alive. If you didn't make bricks, you died. And suddenly God takes his people into the promised land and he says, your day is going to start in the evening. It's going to be restorative, refreshing. You're going to be with the people you love. You're going to eat a good meal. And then in the morning you will get up and work. That's where the Jewish day goes. And so the message that is brought to us In that text where it says, and the Lord took man into the garden to work it, we've got to remember Genesis chapter one where God teaches his people through Moses that your worth is not your work. Your worth is you were created in the image of God. And your day should begin in the evening with rest and restoration and fellowship and food what you can clearly sense is we live in a world that's antithetical to this, completely antithetical. Your worth is based on what you produce. God says no, not in his kingdom. You're worth everything to him because you're created in his image. You're part of the human race. You're part of what's known as the humankind. The next text I want us to look at is found in Genesis 2.19. And in Genesis 2.19, it tells us, now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And I know some of us sitting here have never read that before. We always thought that God uniquely made humankind, that uniquely formed them out of the dust and the dirt or the clay, and that was unique to humankind. It's not. God made every animal that way. But notice what it tells us in Genesis 2.19 he brought them to man, he brought them to Adam, to see what Adam would name them. In other words, as Genesis 1 told Adam, he has authority over the animal kingdom, and now he's exercising that authority as he co-works with God. He has authority over the animals, and he is naming them. Yes, Adam's from dust, just like the animals are, but there's something different between Adam and the animals. He has authority over them. There's something unique about humankind. That's what God is trying to teach. Now, the way I kind of want to illustrate what I want to say next is by sharing a story of something that I viewed and watched about a month ago that was sent to me by a friend of mine. And I'm going to describe this in careful terms because there's little ears. But a friend of mine said, Pete, I really want to talk about something that's happening in culture. And he sent me a link to a compilation of several um, excerpts from talks, many of them given in Europe. Some of them were given here in the U.S., um, but they were kind of like TED Talk style talks. Just picture that. And there were excerpts. There were about seven or eight excerpts. And in watching them, and he said, this is going to be shocking, but please watch them. We need to talk. And so I, I began to watch these. And again, I want to be careful how I say this. These people were holding talks where they were advocating that it would be okay for little children To be utilized for illicit pleasure. And that a progressive culture should begin to embrace this. And while I was listening to this, this phrase kept hitting me. I felt like it was from the Spirit of God. How insulting to the human race! This is so insulting to the human race. This insults every living, breathing human person. Why? Here's why. God takes Adam and brings the animals to him, and and Adam has authority over the animals. In other words, Adam's not a beast. He is a human, and there is a difference And the logic that was being espoused in video after video negated that. It said, humankind are beasts. We need to accept that. I can't. You see, the creative reality of God in Genesis, what we just read, teaches us there's an intrinsic difference. There's an innate difference between the animal kingdom and humankind. Let me put it this way. We are better than what those people are espousing. We are better than that. Way better. So notice in this text that Adam is called, Adam is called to name the animals. He is co-working with God, but he has authority over the animal kingdom. He is not a beast. But we're going to learn in the fall that humankind can behave like beasts. But that's not God's divine intent and design at all, nor do we submit to that. Moving on to the next text, Genesis 2.18. I knew it would get quiet when we talked about that point, so let's look at another one, Genesis 2.18. It says, The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone I will find a helper suitable for him Genesis 2:20 but for Adam no suitable helper was found It's noteworthy that for the first time in creation God says something isn't good It's pretty amazing All six days of creation, it's good, it's good, it's good. Evening, um, evening, morning, it's good. Evening, morning, it's good. Evening, morning, it's good. On the seventh day, there is no evening and morning. But God says it's very good, very good. And yet, as we look at the Garden of Eden, there's no sin yet. There's no dysfunction. There's no brokenness. Prior to all of that, God looks at Adam and says, it is not good that man's alone. That fascinates me. Because you would think if someone has total communion, total uninterrupted, undisrupted communion with God, and they live in complete harmony with God, and they live in paradise, they live in Charlottesville, how could you need anything else than that? Yeah, God says it's not good that man is alone. It says something to us because this is pre-fall. This is before the fall. As we look at this, we discover that God says that he will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.20, a suitable helper will be found. In other words, there's that sense that Adam somehow, way needs something else, and God says he will provide that. He's going to make that for Adam. I want to say something carefully again before we move on to the next point, and that is this. More often than not, whenever we talk about what I'm going to talk about next, singleness seems to be painted with a broad brush of a negative. Because oftentimes when this is taught, it's taught in the way where kind of the way to get around the fallen nature is just get married. How many of us are married and know that that's not the answer? Raise your hand. Let's totally admit it. Look at your spouse and say, yep, that's true. If you think for a moment... (laughs) that marriage is going to solve all fallenness, you're out of your ever-loving mind. But it's also the case that we see, especially in the Newer Testament, that singleness is actually elevated. It's spoken of in positive terms in the Newer Testament. The Apostle Paul even writes about it a few times, about how that station in life actually can be a good thing for many people. It can actually be a gift from God. And it's actually marriage that Paul warns about, not singleness. That's fascinating. And yet here we discover that God is going to find a suitable helper for Adam. And in the text we read, it tells us that God takes a rib from Adam and he creates Eve. Now let's talk about this text for a moment. The Hebrew word here for rib is used 40 times in the Older Testament and never anywhere else is it ever named rib, anywhere. As a matter of fact, in the Older Testament, that word, the 39 other times, is used to describe something that is balanced by appendages. Let me give you an example. Oftentimes, when the temple is being built, it will speak of the main part of the temple and then the sides to the temple, which aesthetically and architecturally balance the temple. That's when the word is used. It's fascinating. It brings balance. It brings whole perspective. Several other times when that word is used in the Older Testament, one time in particular, it's used to mention the half of a mountain you can't see. That's the rib. There's the part you can see, but you know that there's the other half you can't see. What I have come to believe is that when God creates Eve, if you study it thoroughly in the Hebrew, you will discover that almost all Hebrew scholars will tell you that God takes half of Adam and creates Eve, not just a rib. He takes half of him. And in taking half of him, he takes something away from Adam that only a woman can complement, that only a woman can counterbalance. He's actually lost some of himself. God takes half of Adam, and he creates Eve. And the text says she is his suitable helper. His suitable helper. Now, what's amazing about this is the word in the original language means suitable help. Literally means this, and it's a little bit confusing, but I'm going to do my best to explain it, that suitable helper really means, translated accurately, someone who helps against. Adam needed someone who would help against him. Fascinating. Now, what we know is, is the Bible speaks of unity, that the Bible speaks of co-reality between men and women. And so what we quickly begin to understand is that the woman comes with a different perspective than the man. She is not the same as the man. Female reality is different than male reality, but neither can function properly or fully without the input of each other. Again, the Hebrew word says, one that opposes yet helps. One that complements that the woman is to bring needed resistance to the man. In other words, she counterbalances him. The rabbis for millennia have taught this the following way. That the best way to view this is if you have two logs and you're trying to build the roof of a house. You need both. You need one, but you need the other to counterbalance. You need the one to oppose it and yet help it. And this is how the rabbis teach this. And I believe with all of my heart that the issues we see in the Newer Testament, that the Newer Testament is reclaiming when it's taught often, and I've heard this taught, especially when I was younger, that what's being taught here is that the woman is to be subservient to the man, that the woman is there just for the man, and that's what it means to submit. But what the rabbis teach is the man cannot be what he needs to be without the opposing pressure and help of the woman. You need both. And the world is drastically missing everything it needs when you only have one or the other. In other words, there is mutuality in this. Notice what the text tells us. The text tells us that the two will become what flesh? One flesh. So the half that was missing from Adam is now brought back to him, and there's a completeness there. Now in looking at this, Some people may say, well, I don't really believe that, and I really like the idea of women just having to totally submit to man, and I like it the old way. Well, here's where a problem's going to lie for you, and it's here. That in the Older Testament, God is used, and the exact same terminology used for Eve is used for God. Same exact terminology. In Psalm 3320... It says this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our what? What does the text say? Help and our shield. God is our suitable helper. In Psalm 121 verses 1 through 2 it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My suitable helper comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's a reference to the creation story. You see, God is called our suitable helper. Do you think God is subservient to us? Never. Do you think we have the right to look at God and say, you're here just for me? Never. Please understand, there's a balance in the text here. And the created initial design was that God had made male and female where they would counterbalance and complement each other. But I want us to read again as we close That final creative text, Genesis 2 21 through 23. Here's what it says So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Again, I believe he took half of man and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made woman from that half he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And what does the man say? What does he say? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my... What a weird thing to say. It's so weird. I remember the first time I ever saw my wife, we were in grad school at a picnic, and the first time I ever saw her, the Holy Spirit put these words in my mouth, hubba hubba. (laughs) It wasn't bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I mean, how weird. You want to know why? Here's why. And the ancient teachers teach us this. Adam looks at Eve and knows she's bringing back to him what's lost. He knows it. And instead of saying, wow, she's a 10, or she's drop-dead gorgeous, oh, go God, you did. What does he say? That's bone of my bone. That's flesh of my flesh. What God took out he used to create Eve, and now she's bringing back to me what God took out of me when he created her. It's very profound, but in it, we clearly can sense that the initial created order for men and women was equality, and the fall ruined it. Ruined it. We'll talk about this more next Sunday. So as we put feet to our faith in closing... I want us to think about these three things. Number one, your work is not your worth. Your work is not your worth. It isn't. You are valuable in God's sight because you are created in his image. Number two, we are not beasts. We are created in God's image. And the creation story tells us we are better than that. So much better. And then the third is that male and female is God's creative genius. And this male-female complement is essential. It's absolutely essential. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together, we're going to be singing about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask that all of us as men and women would avail ourselves to the working of the Spirit of God. What God's Word brings to us is very different than what we hear in the world. Yet it's a truth we need to hear and to live into and to accept and draw nourishment from. So as we worship the Lord through this next song, I want to encourage you to let the Spirit of the Lord fill you, the same Spirit that he breathed into Adam when he created him from dust.